0: It's a joy to be able to share God's Word together with you. I take that as a great uh, privilege and opportunity. Uh, As the Lord uh, burdens my heart with aspects of uh, the Christian walk and Christian life, I want to share that with you. How is God uh, working in our hearts, understanding His Word, understanding uh, what He would have for us? So if I can, I'm going to begin in prayer. Lord, I ask that you would please uh, calm my nerves. Uh, Lord, I pray that I might be able to be relaxed in sharing uh, your honored word and also the message, Lord, that you've uh, burdened me with. Uh, Your Holy Spirit has impressed upon me by your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would be open to understanding uh, more of what your word says Uh, for us to apply. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Recently, I've had some thoughts about Jesus Christ, and particularly about the disciples that followed him, and what discipleship, what a disciple meant in that day, particularly. Um, how would you know? There were actually many disciples in that day. There were many rabbis. There were followers. Those who would attach themselves to a reputable uh, rabbi would be someone who was, it means great, it means uh, a head uh, or top. Someone we might consider someone who had Maybe be educated to the end of the line. They've taken that degree as far as it'll grow. They've, they've come to master a topic. And so therefore, we want to follow and learn from this person. In fact, they would leave all. They would leave other loyalties. And they would attach themselves to the teacher. They would spend time with them. They would uh, model how they lived This was a disciple. A disciple would follow a teacher, a master. And this uh, came to my thinking and this opportunity to share with you, and I wanted to grow in my understanding of that, and I want to share that with you this morning. Because if you're like myself, I don't know if you are as selfish as I am, okay? (laughs) But I generally think of myself quite a bit. Pride fuels uh, self-love in us that competes with all other loyalties. I mean, even the dear loyalties that we have. And so why does God allow us to deal with these struggles? Why are we bound by these uh, prideful, sinful uh, urges? Well, God obviously is helping us. He works with us. We put a garden out this year, and how many of you maybe put at least a little garden out this year? Do you like to do a little bit of a gardening? Um, And we generally understand that to get produce, we're going to have to do something, but we cannot force that plant to grow, right? We kind of have, what, our part. We need to, to do our part diligently, but then what? God has his part. How that thing germinates, how that produces, how it grows and has the uh, wherewithal in creation and the great designer. Uh, he has worked that out. And he has his part. And much of the way I change, much of the way that I am to be the way God desires me to be, is it is a partnership. Much like a farmer tilling the soil, I have a responsibility in my growth as a Christian. And so why am I not delivered? Well, God could have done it all. In fact, God actually in the garden gave us all the fruit we needed. You know, we didn't have to till hardly, you know, we didn't have to work by the sweat of our brow in the Garden of Eden. But what? Because of sin, things have changed. And now by the sweat of our brow, we have to work that. Well, this message is not exhaustive. Okay, we're not going to be here forever. We're not going to talk about uh, this aspect to the nth degree. But I do want to just look at the pages of life in a specific sense that we might understand more of how we are to be as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That we would have a greater understanding, a greater appreciation, and a greater uh, desire to, if you will, like the farmer, get our hands dirty in the process. The passages that God brought to my mind was Matthew 16, 24. I think that's in the notes there, at least the reference. And that reference is a reference where Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, he was saying that to his disciples. He was teaching his disciples. His disciples had done that. He was, if you will, in one sense speaking to the choir, and he was speaking to those who would follow after them, those who would be disciples that follow after them. As they go and make disciples who make disciples, he mentions here that if anyone desires to come after me, to be my disciple, he's talking, he's got to deny himself, his manner of living, his, his ways, take up his cross and I know many have talked about what that means. I think it's really an opposite metaphor of to deny myself and submit myself to God's will. Okay, take up my cross, whatever God brings into my path, I'm to submit myself to what God has before me and follow him. Another passage that rang true for me was Matthew 10, 24 and 25, again, uh, Jesus is talking about disciples here. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. He puts these two very close together. A disciple with a teacher, a servant with a With a master. In fact, Jesus will say over and over again in Scripture that we are to be, if we're to be great, we're to be a servant. If we're to be the greatest, we're to be a slave. He goes, um, so it is the opposite of what the Gentiles would hold to. So there's three things I want to bring to our attention this morning, and I think they are fundamental to who we are as a disciple. And so we titled this "To Be Christ's Disciple." One is called by Him. Okay, we see that Jesus went around calling those to follow Him, to drop their nets, to uh, leave their business. The, the, specifically, He was calling these twelve to take on a new occupation, and that was to be His disciple. And that was a proper sense. Uh, That type of a sense today, we understand that, while we do understand there is an aspect of this, Jesus Christ becomes our occupation as a Christian. But we are still to work. We are still to be faithful and to be wise and living. But our occupation, we have been called to follow him. That's the nature of a disciple. So one can be a disciple of of any rabbi. Uh, We know that uh, Moses, uh, the Bible speaks of Moses. Uh, In fact, uh, in in the Gospels, the Pharisees said we are disciples of Moses. And uh, John the Baptist had his disciples. And we know in that day and age that philosophers, Greek philosophers, had their disciples where people would follow them. And so... Uh, They were, in Bible times, they were respected teachers with authority to give, uh, to receive those followers. And Jesus, when we would say, how is Jesus a rabbi with authority? And we know that, number one, uh, John the Baptist recognized Jesus as one coming from God with authority. And we know that God himself, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, that God came down upon Christ as a dove. It was witnessed there. And as we could also look at the Mount of Transfiguration where God blesses Christ. And so we see several areas there where he is given authority as a rabbi, if you will, as a teacher. So these followers were called disciples. A, a disciple, that word uh, in, in that language is called methetes, and it means to be a learner. Basically, if you're a disciple, you're a learner, you're a student. Uh, And the characteristics are those of one who comes under the authority and the teaching of another. And so we ought to be learning from who today? Who is our our teacher? Jesus Christ. He is our teacher. Uh, We're called Christians, little Christs, right? And so how does one... Come to be called to be a follower, and like I said, we're starting at the very foundation here. And no one comes to Christ, the Bible says, unless His Spirit draws them. Okay, no one comes to Christ unless His Spirit draws them. If you have, if you have understood a right interpretation of the Bible, that is, you understand what it says and you have an urge to obey it, that is the Holy Spirit working in your life. Okay, God is working through His Word, by His Spirit, to draw us to obey in faith. And so to know and to obey the Bible is to follow after Christ in the Spirit of Christ, whom He left to teach us all these things. And so the Bible clearly teaches us everything we need for life and godliness. In fact, uh, I just wanted to do a little bit of a synopsis of some of the things that we understand as we come. As we understand who Jesus Christ is, we really must begin with who God is. An understanding that uh, there is no one like the one true God. He is True one, he is uh, three in one, a distinct uh, in substance, different functions, but one God in three distinct persons. That's unlike anyone else, and he is creator. He is personal in that creation. He created and then dealt with his creation. In Scripture, we we see, and he is almighty, and he is sovereign over all of his creation, we come to understand that he is eternal. He is the beginning and the end, from everlasting to everlasting. He is righteous and holy, which means uh, he is blameless and pure, and all that he does is morally good, and then he's just. He does not do wrong. We cannot charge him with doing wrong. He always does what is right, period. And we understand this through Scripture. And we understand, you know, if we were using the wordless book at this point, you know, we were, what page would we be on? Anybody know what color we'd be on in the wordless book? The gold page, right? This is uh, talking about God. Right? This is, uh, we're giving an understanding of what God is like. And, and God created us as ones who are made in his image. And we are made to delight in God. God is to be our delight. Uh, we are to reflect his glory in what we do. That's how God created us. We're to live for his advantage, not our own. And we're to proclaim his majesty. The scripture says this is part of why we were created. And God created us to be loved by him as well. We are loved by God. We are blessed by God. We are taught by God. We're satisfied by him. We're comforted by him. We walk with him like Adam and Eve did in the garden. There was this perfect match that was made that God had created. We understand this by the scriptures, but we also understand that that was broken. And sin began really before the garden in heaven was Satan. Satan rebelled. He was a creation that had the uh, choice to obey or to not. And we see that Satan left. He uh, went down and he then deceived in the garden. And so sin began on the earth with Adam and it passed on to all mankind. This is what we understand as we understand the gospel here, and that we are responsible for our sin as we choose to sin. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not only has this been passed on to us, but we sin as well. And that that sin, we understand, separates us now from that good description of what God created. God created this perfect environment for us, and sin now separates us from God. In fact, now God's wrath is upon those who have rebelled and rejected. It's not the sin It's who we've sinned against. The sin in the garden, you would say, that seems kind of little. They ate of a tree. But it was God's law. It was sinning against a perfectly holy God. And so God's wrath came upon and death then came and judgment and hell as a result of our sin. And mankind has been totally depraved from the fall. Every part of us. Affected, And now we come to a place that, okay, we understand that today. We see that. That's a reality, right? We understand that I struggle with selfishness. Our kids struggle with selfishness. Uh, They've gotten it from us. And so what's the remedy? And so the remedy comes, we seek to do it our way. That's the the method of us today. We do it our way. In fact, we're hopeless. Uh, We cannot by our own nature be right with God. We cannot work for it. There's nothing we can do to work off that debt, that wage, the Bible says. And by we can't do it by being born into a Christian nation. It's not our heritage. It's not our family. No matter how good mom and dad are, there is no such thing as a second-generation Christian. There's only... First generation Christians. And uh, so our debt is insurmountable. And really there's no hope if we don't go to the hopeful inspired scripture. And so now we have to understand something more about God that relates to our sinfulness. And that is that the Bible describes God as merciful, merciful and compassionate So much so, what? He so loved that he gave, gave Jesus Christ, his own son. God is all wise and he has orchestrated a solution to our sin problem. And his graciousness comes to us in two different ways. One is common. Everyone here hopefully enjoys the rain and the sunshine and and all that we understand that we enjoy that's God's common goodness. We can we have technology today, you know, we most of us have phones and we would say, Well, and that's good. That's good to have some of these things that we might enjoy. A car out there. We have some creature comforts right here. How many of you are glad for cushion on your seats right now? You know, we're all thankful for these common goodnesses that God has has allowed. But it doesn't help with our separation from him. And so we have that saving grace that God provides. And so because we need that because he is angry. God hates sin. I don't think we understand it. Sometimes you know, we might say, you know, this is just a little thing. You know, it's maybe the taxes. Maybe it's the speed limit. Maybe, you know, these are just really little really little things, but we don't understand. It's not our perspective on these things. It's God's perspective on these things. God hates sin. Eating of a piece of fruit that God said not to eat of caused all of this. And so I have to think here, what does God think about wrongdoing? What displeases him? What do I think that God thinks about that? So God provided, we were understanding this, that God sent the God-man, Jesus Christ, Jesus' life. He lived it 100% righteous on our behalf. His death for all those who believe on him, the Bible says, will make all those who believe on him righteous. His righteousness on their account. Our unrighteousness put on his account and being bore on the tree We see this through the Scripture. God the Father is satisfied with that death of His Son by raising Him up on the third day. And so Jesus' resurrection gives us the power over death and and hope to come. God offers reconciliation. God declares a believer to be right because of what Jesus did. This is what we understand This is what we believe as we come to be a follower, a disciple of Christ. God offers this forgiveness of sin, and he offers heaven to believers only in Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ. And so God seeks now worshipers, people for himself, through his son. He's funneling his grace, saving grace through his son. And so, what does that mean here? We know that to understand, to be called to be a disciple, is we do have to understand. We do have to have this knowledge of the gospel, that it exists, that this is what it is, and that Jesus is the object of that salvation. There is a, we call that confession. We confess that this is true. We confess we agree with God about this and we receive it to all those who receive him become the children of God. And so there's a, a agreement that has to be there. And there's a personal transfer of reliance that I now am not going to rely on myself. But I will rely on what Jesus Christ has done. I'm going to rely upon him. I'm putting all my eggs in his basket. It's him alone. And we call that repentance, okay? It is turning from my way to God's provision, to God's provision. He is offering this gift. You know, there's, there's only this one way to be a disciple. So that's just a little understanding, if you will, of what we know when we come to be a disciple. And so Christ has the authority to call his disciples. Christ does. He says, uh, all those who God has given me, I will not lose. He keeps them. And those who God has given to him as disciples that have come through this provision of the gospel are Christ's, Christ's. And so Christ calls Uh, those who are sinners from all walks of life. You know what? I would venture to say that we have all kinds of sinners in this room, okay, from all kinds of walks of life. And the only thing that qualifies us to be a disciple of Christ is Jesus Christ. He qualifies us to be his follower. So the Spirit's authority uh, is there. And so now let me just ask you here as we think about this, have you responded to Christ's call to be a disciple? Have you responded to that? You know, you could pray even now. You could pray even now that you understand that your sin separates you from God. You could pray even now that you stand condemned before God. You understand that that sin is there and that you're unable to help yourself. You're unable to save yourself and that you will receive God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, through belief on him who took my bad and gave me his good record. And we can be thankful. We can pray in thanksgiving to God for forgiving us and for for giving us Jesus' good record. We now can identify, we can identify with Jesus Christ when somebody, I don't know if, if we realize this, this is part of the gospel, that we become bought with a price. We are now, I pray, And thank God for salvation, but I also acknowledge that I'm owned by him. He is now my master. I serve him. He is my teacher. I am a disciple. I am a learner. I am a servant of him. You know, that doesn't change. I pray that all of you have come to that place at one time where you've prayed that. You've acknowledged that. You've cast all on the Lord Jesus Christ and received this. But this is something I have to face every day, that I am unworthy in my own flesh, that I must continue based on what Christ has provided. I am indebted to him for all of life. So, as a disciple, am I called? Secondly, to be Christ's disciple, this is is going to be real profound here. One follows him. Okay. One follows him. And I'm going to say, I'm going to add a little bit of caveat here. What do we mean by following Christ? Another term that the Bible often uses communing with, communing with, or to follow him. You know, Christ's disciples spent time with him. They were with him. How did they know they were Christ's disciples? Because they were with him. They were identified with him. What does it mean to commune with Christ? What do you think it means to commune with Christ? Well, we know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that God's Spirit breathed this book. And so if you want to know and to follow who Jesus Christ is you probably need to dive into this book, okay? Understand it, read it. Uh, Jesus says it's not just enough to actually hear it or just to read it even. He says the fool hears it and walks away. The wise person hears it and does it, puts it into practice, obeys it. And that's really part of the key. Do I spend time reading, thinking deeply I'm not talking about you have to read this, you know, uh, through in a month or whatever. Uh, take it. Meditate on it. Let it become part of your thinking. We will change. Excuse me, we will change to become more like Christ to the degree that God's word is permeating our thinking. Okay? We will not change any other way. And so, how am I applying what Jesus says? So, communing would be also praying, uh, confessing, or agreeing with God about my life, even about sin. You know, as we as we see the devastating effects of sin with our brothers and sisters, or even our neighbors, we confess with God how bad sin is. God hates sin, and I hate sin, and I hate the effects of sin. And we can be communing with God, even lamenting the sin that we see and the effects of sin. And we certainly go to God when we pray by asking him and worshiping him. And so we grow this way. But Christ's disciples also express allegiance to him by following him. So as I follow him, I'm expressing my loyalty to him. Jesus' disciples gave Christ first claim, first priority in their life. Okay? How many of us are giving Christ first claim on our day, on our agenda? His disciples confessed Christ before others, no matter the cost. They were known as the disciples because they would stand up for what Christ taught, and they professed it. So let me just ask you, how are you following after or communing with Christ as a disciple? How are you doing in that? Does Jesus know you as one who walks after him, who follows him? You know, we can pray to him right now and confess our failure. You know, I don't know of anybody who thinks that they do this well. Okay? I think we all would agree that we need to follow after and commune with Christ more. (laughs) We don't have this locked up. And we need to confess how often we do our own agenda for our own purposes instead of God's agenda for His purposes. We live for our advantage, not His advantage. And that's something we need to confess, put off, repent of, and turn in faith to do what's right. That's part of growing as a Christian, as a disciple. And you know what? Disciples are known, not by being perfect, but they were known as repenters. Ones who confessed their sin and repented of it. And so we're to turn and ask him for help, to be a faithful disciple who follows after him. Last point, you'll be happy for, we're going to land this ship on, on time, I think. And that is, to be Christ's disciples, we must become like him. Okay? A good disciple becomes like his teacher. A bad disciple doesn't. Right? A good disciple becomes like his teacher. And brothers and sisters, we are to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Every one of us. You know what? Uh, we live in a day today. Uh, boy, this is where we could break the, the schedule here, okay? <laughs> uh, that is, we live in a day and age where we have labels I am this, I was born this way. Um, my, my label, my characteristic is this. This is why I am the way I am. And we hold to those labels. Jesus wants us not to be any label other than like him, like Jesus Christ. We're to be becoming more like JC, right? He is the person I'm to be like. Be more like Christ every day. And so his disciples become like him. And so Jesus' disciples identified with him. You know, one of the ways I battle temptation, this may, you know, for everybody, I know it's different. You need to battle temptation, especially if I'm out by myself, is I try to wear something that identifies me as a Christian because then I know, man, I don't have anonymity. Somebody saying he's a Christian and he's acting like that. No. Uh, So, listen, most of my wardrobe, I put something on there that has the Bible, Jesus Christ, something, you know, that identifies, because it's a one way that identifies me with Christ. And I know that seems really superficial, but I want to be identified with Christ. I want to be known as following him. I'm his disciple. And so others know who a disciple is following because of the life they resemble They resemble their master. Have you ever been challenged at work because you act differently? Who do you follow? You don't follow like everybody else. You don't respond like everybody else. And are you willing to identify with Christ and say, you know, I follow Jesus Christ. And this is how Jesus Christ would respond. And I want to be like him. So change must take place if that's to happen. How many of you have arrived to a state of perfect Christ likeness? Anybody want to raise their hand? Anybody arrived to a state of perfect Christ likeness? No. If that is the case, then we all need to be changing every day. Every day we need to be changing. Unless you believe you've arrived, okay, then you don't need that, right? So no, we, in fact, we call that to become like Christ, we call glorification. When we have taken off our earthly tent, our body, we leave that in the grave and we see him face to face, he gives us a, a new tabernacle, a new body, and that's what we call glorification. We no longer have this unredeemed flesh. We'll have a new body. Now, a body is still, I mean, we could, that's a whole other sermon, but a body is not a bad thing. We'll always have a body. We will always have a body. Bodies are not bad. But our current body is unredeemed, and it does bring us down. And it is connected to our soul. We can't disconnect it. And so we deal with that. And so we are growing. And what, what do we call that process of growing, of changing, of becoming more like Christ? We call that, what, sanctification. We call that being set apart for holy use, for God's use. Okay? And so we're to, uh, this is the process. I'm going I'm to say a term here that we should all be familiar with, and that is, We are to be becoming holy, holy like Christ. Be holy as I am holy, he says. Without holiness, none will see God in Hebrews. And so our holiness is certainly based on what Christ has done for us. We got a new record. Remember that? A holy record. But God is committed to crafting his disciples to be holy like Christ. God is committed to that. Are you committed to that? If God is committed to crafting each of his disciples to be holy like Christ, I ought to be also committed to that holiness. To be a disciple of Christ means I am becoming like him and to be holy like him. Christ's conduct and manner of life are copied by his disciples. So I just want to use one quick example, and that was uh, when... In, in Luke 11, 1 through 4, Luke 11, 1 through 4, Jesus' disciples were trying to model after Jesus and uh, it came to pass as, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased praying, that one of his disciples said to Jesus, they were watching Jesus pray, their teacher And he stopped praying and his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Also, John also taught his disciples. So they were saying, John teaches his disciples, would you teach us this? And we know this prayer, right? He says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a desire to, to live. You know, God is holy. Want your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today. It's a dependence on him. Our, give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Jesus is teaching his disciples to go to God For forgiveness, even though we have a good record, we're to still identify and repent of remaining sin in our life. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What a pattern of prayer for our, for disciples that are following Christ. How are we going to become more like Christ? Should we say every day, Lord, teach me how to live today. Lord, teach me how to respond to this that's on my agenda in a way that Jesus would respond in that way. Because Jesus' disciples become more and more like him every day. They're changing every day. Is that your prayer? Pray for me as I pray for you, that we would all become more like Christ. Lord God, I pray that today we might understand more fully your desire for us. Lord, we live in a world you know that is a distraction from this process, that the evil one is seeking to distract us, to deter us, to defeat us, to deceive us. But Lord, you bring us back by your word to show us that you provide the sunshine, you provide the rain, you provide the seed, you provide all that is needed, but we have to enter into that process like the farmer, Lord, I pray that we might roll up our sleeves, that we might be committed to changing to become more like Jesus Christ today in whatever you bring before us. And, Lord, you may have been speaking to someone this morning, and I pray that if they have never put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and received his free gift of salvation to have his good record, on their behalf, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that they would do that this morning, coming to you in prayer, receiving that. And Lord, I pray also that believers that are here would even now be praying, Lord, make me like you. Please make me like you. In Jesus' name, amen.